0: Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broaden our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual for right now, I'm here with Jason. Hey, everyone! Happy Halloween, my dude. Happy Halloween. We're getting closer. It's the holy month. The holy month. We love it, celebrating horror films all month long. Disturbing, ex- well,
1: extreme horror films. Yes,
0: that's what we've latched onto this year. A far cry from last year, where we kind of just went for fun. Halloween type films. Yeah, that was those those were good times. Those were good times. These are good times too. They are. They are. Today we are going to be talking about the infamous, infamous, infamous Guinea Pig series from Japan, because we checked out Mermaid in the Manhole from 1988, which may or may not be the fourth, fifth, or sixth entry in this franchise, depending on how you want to cut it. And we will get into all of that.
1: There's lots of cutting. (laughs) There's a lot of of cutting
0: uh but first we're gonna do all our usual stuff talk about what we've been watching um i don't have a shout out this time my bad i'll try to take care of it next time god you suck yeah uh a little peek behind the curtains it's been kind of crazy we've got some vacations going on That's forced us to have to uh
1: record a lot of stuff in a short amount of
0: time yes so haven't had my usual time to dig around and prep and find cool stuff so what have you been watching my friend
1: um well i am going to break the rules you guys so flagrantly do um i'm uh, going to talk about a tv show i guess you
0: just earned one i
1: guess yeah. <laughs> um, as long as it's not rings of power it is not rings of power okay. but which i do like rings of power <laughs> i'm going to talk about for all mankind oh, okay. which is on apple tv i assumed you would talk about andor Um, Well, I mean, I could, (laughs) because I did watch Andor. I figured. I like it so far, too. You hadn't said anything yet, so I was wondering. Well, I know you're also not interested at all in it.
0: Yeah. Because... I mean, spoilers, he dies. (laughs) Eventually, sure. (laughs) (laughs) All right, go on.
1: Uh, But For All Mankind is kind of an alternate history television Mm -hmm. show. Uh, It starts in 69, and instead of the USA making it to the moon, the Soviets do first. Oh. So then everything just sort of... You know, it's like, it's like a multiverse. It's like another what-if type like situation. Like Man in the High Castle. Yeah, thing. exactly. Uh, but it's produced by Ronald D. Moore, who people will okay. know from Star Trek. And, of course, Battlestar Galactica. So he's back to sci-fi where I think he belongs. And uh, it's really good. Just like 10 episodes per season. There's three seasons so far. Oh, so this has already been going. For oh, me. yeah, it's yeah. been on for a hmm. while and uh, like my, some of my friends have been saying oh you gotta watch this, you gotta watch this and I finally did and yeah it's great so I highly recommend it, if you have Apple TV get it, watch it
0: Apple TV?
1: Yeah, Apple TV's good I mean it's not great but it's good it's got For All Mankind, that's enough <laughs> at least get it when All Mankind's playing and then cancel it and just get it back again
0: if Michael were here he would say that you can't watch it for free <laughs> he would <laughs> he would point that
1: out and then I would remind him that nothing is free. Nothing is free.
0: There, ain't, there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. Yeah, we want to like, keep our sci-fi references it's like going. A law of
1: conservation or something. <laughs> so uh, if you dig science fiction, and it's fairly, you know, hard SF. It's like mm. realistic in quotation marks. Um. So it's you know it's pretty gripping. The characters are pretty good for the most part, and I'm a sucker for any of those stories where like. Uh, especially if it's in space, where a disaster happens and they have to find some way to fix it, I mm. fucking love that shit. I eat that shit up all day long. <laughs> all
0: right, cool. Yeah. How about you, man? What you been watching? So a while ago, I had went back to rewatch some of the Puppet Master films,
1: <laughs> like I do every
0: year. You know, it just happens. Um, <sighs> and since we're in this awesome time of all celebrating horror films and stuff, I was like, you know, I need to watch a few more of those. Just just squeeze them in. And I wanted to talk about one because it's always it's. Is it good? I don't know. I like it, mm-hmm. but it mystifies me. And I just wanted to share it. So, I rewatched uh, Curse of the Puppet Master from 1998. This is the sixth entry in the franchise. So, this is like in the original chronology. Okay. So, if really the original chronology kind of stops with the fifth one okay. until they made some like backported uh, prequels. Because mm-hmm. um, when the fifth one ended, they were going to do this whole like Puppet Wars thing where they're going to have like a bunch of movies and all these different puppets and stuff and go crazy. And then like none of that happened. Mm-hmm. I think they ran into some like financial problems. or <laughs> Full moon, financial you know. problems. You um, don't say. So there wasn't a puppet master movie for a long time. And I remember like then this just showed up at the local video store, and it has this gnarly cover of like the lead actor, and the puppets are like all around him, and he's pulling up his shirt. And oh it, yeah! Instead of like a normal body, he has like a clockwork wooden body. Right. I remember seeing that. Uh, it was so cool. It's color. a very cool cover. Very striking. Um, immediately you notice the fact that the numer- the numbers are gone. So, you, is this the sixth part? I guess. I don't know. It's the sixth one to come out, but then, you know, there's no number anymore. Um, so when you watch it, it's it's weird because, like, there's no continuity with any of the other films in the franchise. Uh, it just focuses on this guy named Dr. McGrew, who runs, like, a little local museum oddity sideshow kind of thing. And he's currently the puppet master. He has Toulon's trunk, he's got the puppets... Uh, and he incorporates them in his little show. Because it's mm-hmm. like, oh, look at these puppets that don't need strings. Um And it focuses on this young man who's kind of, like, bullied. It, it kind of implies, like, maybe he's a little mentally slow or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um And he kind of is just, like, aimless. And Dr. McGrew takes him in because he realizes he's very good with his hands and, like, carving and building things. Ah. And so he wants him to, like, build stuff to use in his shows. Mm-hmm. Um and it's weird because if you go beat by beat in the plot it's basically the plot of the older film S- <laughs> I don't know how else you say it like S S S S S I'm sure you've seen that title before Yeah, yeah um, Which is about a dude who runs a sideshow who mesmerizes snakes and makes them perform and do tricks Yeah This film is beat for beat that film mm-hmm. Except they have replaced snakes with puppets So it's puppets Yeah, it's puppets Six, Six. <laughs> um, it is it's just so weird and so off the wall, and it's like they never really acknowledge it, but it, it's clearly like every single little plot point that happens is the same. Hmm. And then it's even weirder because eventually, of course, the the puppets do start killing people, like like you do in one of these films. As they should, yeah. And they set it up so like every situation that happens will guide the person into being killed in a way that is very similar to how they were killed in one of the prior five films. So much so that they then use stock footage of, of the puppet performing the kill, with some clever editing to make oh, it make man. it sync up. Um, <laughs> so I don't know what happened. I'm sure there's an interesting story here. I, I really need to dig back, and I have that book that came out like the complete history of the franchise. That's that's Roger Corman territory, right yeah, there. Um But the characters are fun, and it's it's an entertaining story, even if it is a total rip of another movie. Um. There's one great original scene, and it is that cover scene where he has like a nightmare that he becomes a puppet. That part's pretty gnarly. I think they spent most of their budget there, probably <laughs> on a nightmare scene. Um, it's not even yeah. real. Well, because that's the crazy thing. Because the again, if you follow the plot of the, the film, they're ripping off at the end, he tries to like turn the lead into a puppet. Mm-hmm. But the whole film, you've seen him like building like a wooden, you know, wooden parts that fit together, and that's what his nightmare is and then when he like puts them in the puppet it's like a metal robot looking thing mm. almost like they made that separate before they realized what they were doing oh <laughs> and then yeah. just, just out of nowhere it's like oh well here's what it is <laughs> oh truly Charles weird Band. truly bonkers um most people probably won't like it, but there, there's some fun, weird charm to it. So I always go back and rewatch it quite a bit.
1: Well, I know you're a sucker for them, their Puppet Master movies. I am. So you yeah. may not be the
0: most rational person too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they got, uh, what is it, uh, another spinoff coming soon, Dr. Death, but one of the retro puppets. And I- I'm there for it. <laughs> I, g- I can't stop. Of course you are. <laughs> I can't are. stop, Jason, help me. <laughs> That's your problem. <laughs> So today we are talking about Mermaid in the Manhole from 1988, one of the entries in the guinea pig series. The infamous guinea pig series. Uh, I feel like we have to define a lot of stuff before we talk about this one to really do it credit. Mm-hmm. So I guess first let's start with what is the guinea pig series? This, this infamous thing we keep referring to. hmm Do
1: you have an answer? Uh, well superficially I know that they are a series (laughs) of of films like Mm -hmm. shot on video Uh, they're pretty short they're usually like an hour or so Mm -hmm. and I think they're pretty much the same producers right but they have different directors and writers and everything and they were just all kind of put out under this one you know title of the guinea pig the first one was the devil's experiment 85 I believe yes and they seem to get they start Hardcore, not hard. Well, I mean, not like pornographic hardcore, but they start very violent, very like pseudo snuff film. Yeah, like a pseudo snuff film, because all all of Devil's Experiment is just torture. It's just mm-hmm. torturing this one girl. And Flowers of Flesh and Blood, the famous one that Charlie Sheen freaked out over, that's also just this girl being mutilated and everything.
0: Um, but then they start getting more. After that, they go in some weird directions. There's yeah, they start having like more stories. Comedy, one that's got like more plot to it. Yeah, they get less. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Less graphic. Mm-hmm. yeah. Comparatively. 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 <laughs> to themselves, not to other films. No, yeah. Because right. they're definitely in a league of their own. Yeah. Um. So tied into it, too, there's also two making-of documentaries that got made about the series along the way. And it's important to note that all of this kind of spawned out of, like as far as the concept, from manga artist Hideshi Hino. Who also wrote and directed two of the films in the series. Uh, Flower of Flesh and Blood, and then the one we're covering, Mermaid in the Manhole. Um, basically, the pitch for it originally was he just kind of wanted to make some films that adapted his works. And in, in the course of that, it spiraled out into to what we got here with Guinea Pig. Um, so the big thing, we keep saying it's infamous, and it's gotten a ton of controversy, primarily for its depiction of violence.
1: Especially against women. Yes. But I mean, really, that's mostly... Well, I mean, it isn't. It isn't horror in a nutshell because I, I think if you stacked up all the kills and all the movies, more men get killed than women.
0: Yeah. So um, as far as releases, there's there's been like a the push to like not have these released and, and banned in different places. In the U.S., they did get a DVD release by Unearthed Films, which I think we've brought up on some of our prior episodes on this. Because um, that's
1: like twenty years after the fact, though, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah and it was a it was like a series of 3 discs and each one had like two of the features and then i think they made a box set right after mm-hmm. which that box set is like ooh really hard to get now it's like worth some money oh, to find it
1: but these were floating around like you know you know video stores that were like mm, had gray market materials you yeah. know third fourth generation copies you could find them if you looked hard enough but they were pretty hard to find oh, throughout yeah. the 80s and 90s for sure
0: and then it's interesting because um Eventually, Unearthed Films started producing their own series called American Guinea Pig, and that's inspired by these. Mm. Have you I, seen any of those? I have not, no. I've only seen like videos about them, mm.
1: so I've seen scenes from them and stuff. I've but. been
0: curious to try them, but I feel like part of the charm is like the time these were made in the late 80s into the 90s. Yes. They, also, they're... Japaneseiness, <laughs> Yeah. There's some weird Japaneseiness that's charming and hard to not enjoy, even with the heavy subject matter. Um, so I've danced around a little bit, but we don't rightly know what number this is in the series. And there's a lot of different sources that differ on where this is placed. So the first three are pretty much lock solid Devil's Experiment in eighty-five, flower flesh and blood in eighty-five, and then He Never Dies in eighty-six. For the back three, it gets a little a little uh, mushy there on what's going where. So in a 2009 interview with Vice, Hino said that he had nothing to do with the fourth guinea pig film, suggesting that he doesn't consider Mermaid in the Manhole to be the fourth entry. Um, but Stephen Biro, the co-founder of Unearthed Films, lists Mermaid in the Manhole as the fourth film. Uh, And then in the book, the Encyclopedia of Japanese Horror Films, Salvador Jimenez Merguia, probably butchered that name. I am sorry, bro. Uh, He claims that this was the sixth one to be produced, but in release order, it ended up being the fourth.
1: Hmm.
0: Interesting. Which, if you look at these years, so uh, Mermaid in the Manhole was 88, Android of Notre Dame was 88, and then Devil Woman Doctor is 90. Mm Mm-hmm. So kind of all really right in that little cluster together.
1: I've also heard that Devil Woman Doctor isn't really considered a guinea pig film by a lot of people. That is true. Because it's 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 like a comedy, basically, right? Mm. Yeah.
0: It's pretty bonkers, though. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, and then, you know, there's never been a continuation. I don't know how that would ever even happen at this point. Probably this American guinea pig thing is the best you're going to get as far as just like an homage to it. I do think, think to some degree there have been other things that kind of try to punch at it, like August Underground. Mm-hmm. I think those definitely punch toward those early ones, like Flower, Flesh, and Blood. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Hideshi Hino real quick. Uh, he was born April 19th, 1946, and he's a Japanese manga artist that specializes exclusively in horror. Uh, he has several famous different series he's done, including Hell Baby. Uh, Hino Horrors, which was sort of like a collection of shorts, and Panorama of Hell. Um, so he had often considered a job in the film industry, and um, the works of some other artists that inspired him, like uh, Shigeru Sugiura and Yoshiharu Suge, inspired him to instead go into art and drawing to express his ideas. Um, he got his start working on Dojinshi. Which is a very Japanese concept. That's essentially fan comics, where you might have a property that exists that's like a well known thing, and then you make your own comic and kind of sell it uh, in in the gray area. (laughs) Right, yeah. Uh, That's much more accepted in Japan. They'll actually have like conventions and like little market festivals where people just come and sell their fan works like that. That's cool. Um, they're not suing each other to into oblivion That's right i mean good. there's a lot of there's regulations about it and like I don't think you could go like large scale and go to a factory and like run off your own <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> own books and like the hundreds of thousands of copies but sure little fanzines mm-hmm. and stuff are cool um and then his first professional work was a short that got published in Osamu Tezuka's experimental manga magazine com in sixty seven uh, from '68 and on, he published a lot in the alternative magazine Garo, and then he serialized Tadashi Hino's shocking theater in 1971. And then subnote on the s- subnote, I wanted to mention Garo for a minute. This was this really prominent avant-garde magazine, and it featured a lot of other manga artists like Hino, that all kind of had this same style of like very graphic, very gory, very extreme. Uh, one of the notable ones is Suahiro Maro, which if you've ever seen his artwork, it's like very striking. And I'll maybe throw a picture or something in the show notes so people yeah, can see that. you should. Um, but they all kind of fall into this genre, this art movement all to itself called Eroguro, which we're going to get into in a minute. Okay. I also prepared notes on that. I am so sorry, Jason. <laughs> um, just to wrap us up on Hino, uh, in 2004, Pony Canyon, which is a production company in Japan, they made a series of six live-action films adapting some of his manga, and it was called Hideshi Hino's Theater of Horror. This actually got a release over here in the US on DVD in the like Japanese horror boom. Mm-hmm. I'm ashamed to say I do not have it, and it's very hard to track down now. Wow. So it's one of the few things I'll often troll eBay for and just to see if like some copies have popped up on You've there. You've never seen it? I've seen them, but I don't own it. Is it worth seeing? Is it good? They're, they're fun, yeah. yeah. They're low-budget, but it's like... The tone of all his stuff is so good. I think that like carries it even more. Okay. Uh, a lot of his manga, if you want to read some of his stuff, there were some releases back in the day, but it's all out of print now, and you just pretty much can't find anything. However, just recently, one of his series, um, it's like a single-volume story, Town of Pigs, got a new release by Starfruit Books, which is this little publishing company uh, that deals in kind of like manga that's fallen through the cracks i noticed they had some other like horror artists that they're kind of licensing and picking up so when i checked before the show it looked like they were almost sold out of their first run and they're going to do a second run so it seems like people are digging it maybe it'll lead to more of his stuff getting released and getting out there that's cool i think he's a great artist especially like his ideas uh when we talk about this film this is all his idea so Mm -hmm. i think he's a very creative guy as far as like blending horror and other themes
1: Okay, you mentioned that box at the Theater of Horror. I saw one of those. I saw, oh, yeah. I saw The Boy from Hell back in the day. Oh, okay, cool, So I, cool. I was just looking those up and I remember that cover. I remember seeing that. So I've seen one of them yeah. at least. It was fun, right? Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed
0: it. So to back us up to my last side diversion. <laughs> this, pretty much this whole series of Guinea Pig and a lot of the works of Hadeshi Hino all fall into this genre called Ero Guro Nonsensu. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to translate that over, it stands for erotic, grotesque, nonsense. Yep. That's a good description. (laughs) (laughs) Or often just called eroguro for short. So what this is is an artistic genre that puts its focus on eroticism, sexual corruption, and decadence. And it means to imply, as you might think, something that when you look at it, it is both erotic, but yet also grotesque at the same time. Hmm. So that's a little hard to pin down. So let us... It's very subjective. Yeah, it is very subjective. And, and very Japanese, I think. <laughs> um, so the term itself is an example of what they call ego, which that is a Japanese combination of English words or other abbreviated terms. Um, so, of course, arrow for erotic, guru for grotesque, and then nonsensu for nonsense. Got it. Um, So the grotesqueness implied is like referring to things that are maybe malformed, unnatural, or somehow horrific. Um, So in this way, something that's pornographic and bloody might not also be ero-guro. And in the same way, vice versa. Mm -hmm. It's not like a one-to-one, it's like a square rectangle kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of times this term does get mistaken, especially to Western audiences, to just mean like gore films. Yeah. Or anything that's like a gore-focused Um, like just only on the blood and the guts, but it's, it's something more than that. It's a little more specific, Mm -hmm. a little harder to pin down. I think. I think perhaps a Western equivalent might be like some of David Cronenberg's work. I think that's a good comparison, Mm -hmm. especially when you think of like, um, like shivers, shivers. Yeah. That's what I was just thinking of shivers. Um, that perfectly blends that line where you're like, it makes you uncomfortable. It was latest film. Oh yeah. Crimes of the future. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's like, uh, it's an uneasiness where it's like, there is that allure there and you can see it and you can feel it. But at the same time, you're uncomfortable. So you feel bad for getting turned on. <laughs> so you feel bad. And it even makes you question like, <laughs> is, is this right? Why am I feeling this way? Um, <laughs> I learned to stop asking that a long time ago. <laughs> um, so this had a whole boom and became a subculture. Um, as far as like exploring the deviant, the bizarre, the ridiculous... And it really first manifested during the 1920s in what was known as the Taisho era of Japan. So uh, I have some little notes I pulled to help us define it further. It goes way back. This is from writer Ian Baruma. And talking about that era, that time, uh, it was described as a skittish, sometimes nihilistic hedonism that brings to mind Weimar Berlin. So artistically, the roots go back to things like Yoshitoshi who um, actually made some like woodblock prints that would show like decapitations and other depictions of violence and then there's also stuff like ukiyo-e artists like Utagawa Kuniyoshi that did similar like woodblock prints and things like that but would depict like bondage or rape or uh, I think he's even got one where it's like a crucifixion but it's like eroticized slightly Mm -hmm. um And so a lot of this also started appearing in literature of the time, of the 20s and the 30s. And there was one notable incident that was kind of like a, I guess like a launch point for a lot of this. And that is the Sada Abe incident of 1936. And so this is a real thing that happened, that became a story that like everyone talked about. And it was a woman strangled her lover to death and then castrated his corpse. Hmm. And that seemed to the, I guess the extremity of that and the graphic nature of it, really struck a chord with a lot of people. And in response to this and the like focus it had, that led to a lot of like censorship that was being pushed. And it kind of made this back and forth pull between like, uh, the, you know, trying to rein this in, but then other people being like, well, like, wait, let's explore this. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then a lot of these activities and movements got suppressed during Japan and World War II. But then in the post-war period, through like manga and even music, it began to be explored again. Interesting. So as an element, you can see this in a lot of Japanese horror films and even piku, uh, particularly from the 60s and the 70s. Some ones I wanted to highlight, um, there's Teruo Ishii's Shogun's Joy of Torture. Oh, I've seen that From so one. 1968. Mm-hmm. Um, personal favorite to my heart here, Horrors of Malformed Men from 1969. Also a good one. <laughs> And um, also Yasuzo Masamura's Blind Beast from 69. I have not seen that one, but I've read a lot about it. And then notably, uh, Blind Beast and Whores of Men, they're both based on works of Edogawa Rampo.
1: I was going to ask if he fits into this somehow. Who
0: does fit into this. He's an author from that earlier time there that we were talking about. Um, he did a lot of short story stuff, a lot of like detective fiction, a lot of crime fiction, a lot of horror stuff. And his name's a Japanification of Edgar Allan Poe. Yes, because that is who he is compared to the most in his mm. style. Um, he, he really gets into some weird erotic stuff in yeah. a few of his tales. Mm. Uh, great stuff. A lot of his works are translated into English now, so it's out there and you can go pick it up. Um, of course, I wanted to toss it in. Uh, my boy, Shion Sono. He has a film that fits into this subgenre, and that is Strange Circus from 2005. That's um, one I have not seen. Very hard to watch. We'll get to it maybe one day. Okay. That might be a you and me film to cover in the future.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till Michael takes another sabbatical and we'll get into yeah. the weird, fucked-up shit again. Um.
0: So this has carried on into the modern day, and there's still currently artists that kind of draw on this as an influence. Um. And again, it's that whole idea of you take the macabre and you intermingle it with these sexual overtones to make this almost confusing mix in the end. Um, Sometimes this can be compared to things like the works of H.R. Giger, Mm -hmm. because he as well-mixed horrific imagery with eroticism. Mm, Pretty phallic. And then also, of course, there's things like, um, drawing on this idea of eroguro, you have Japanese pornography that also leans into that which gets into some weird stuff. I think that's like, if you want to say like a squirm fest, if we we dare to bring that up again. Oh, Oh man. Um, So for today, if you wanted to go look for some of these uh, AeroGuro artists and check them out, uh, ones we've already talked about, Suihiro Maruo, and our guy today, Hideshi Hino. Some other ones worth looking out for is Shintaro Kago, uh, Toshio Maeda, and Uziga Waita. Oh, I threw this in for you, Jason. Um, also, technically, the modern genre of in this is typically in hentai, so like animated pornography. Uh, the little subgenre of tentacle rape mm-hmm. technically spawned out of the category of arrow guru. Spawned. Good choice of words um, there. It does have older roots, of course. You go back way, way far. You have stuff like the uh, what is it? Like the woman and the octopus. Yeah. That Old like block print. Thing. Sure. Um. Yeah, but I, it's a little connection point to mm-hmm. Urotsuki Doji, which I know you love. I do. I'm looking at the poster right now. <laughs> um, so this is a very weird subgenre, but it's also very cool. And it's one I've always liked a lot just because it's interesting. I it think. is
1: indeed that.
0: Um, and so to kind of wrap us up on this, I pulled this from an article, which I'll link in our show notes. It was from a little place called Days Digital. And the author, Evelyn Wang, kind of did this overview breakdown of the genre probably better than I've done. Mm -hmm. So you may want to go follow up there. Um, But she kind of laid out in points like, why does this matter? Like, why should you care about this? And as far as like points of like interesting things about it. So as an art form, it acted as this kind of resistance and societal critique on the times. Uh, Through the kind of stories and art that was told with it. It also documented a lot of things like the liberation of women in their culture and it also led to a lot of queer visibility in media through the types of characters that would appear in these stories. Hmm. So actually pretty impactful even for this kind of underground thing. Yeah, there's some cultural worth
1: to it. It's not yeah. just
0: And know. even to this day its legacy is still resonating out into other forms of media. I think like once you see more of these films and more of this art and manga and stuff, you'll look to like modern Japanese horror and you'll see the little little kernels there that have kind of like bled through all the way still to today.
1: Hmm. Okay. So you think there's a decline of this sort of thing nowadays? It's not there's not as much out there.
0: I mean, I think it's always kind of been a niche thing. So yeah.
1: everything comes in cycles.
0: Yeah. So with that out of the way, let's talk about our movie "Mermaid in the Manhole." Mermaid
1: in the Manhole. Uh, what is uh, "Mermaid in the Manhole" about? Briefly.
0: So I've got a synopsis. Uh-huh. It's a fun one. An artist finds and rescues a mermaid with bleeding sores and uses what oozes from her sores to paint her portrait. Mm. Now that's also basically the whole plot of the movie, so good night, everybody.
1: See you later, bye. Yeah, it is a short film. It's only an hour long, uh, which is a good length for this. Any longer would have been a bit too much. Yeah, I think Uh, so. It's got got a story it tells, and it tells it, and then it gets out.
0: And I think the reason I picked this one too, because this was my choice, uh, it's surprising because you come in and you kind of know the infamy. These are like, oh, these are basically just snuff films with no plot. And it's kind of just all the gore and everything. And this one has like a defined story. It does have a plot, yes. And it has fantastical elements, we'll say. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it does open, as all good movies should, in the sewer. Yes. <laughs> and we see all this detritus laying there everywhere. Uh, there's like bugs crawling and worms and
0: a oh. dead baby. And my my first little fun like Hideshi Hino shout out thing. Yeah. The the baby that's floating in the sewer, the way it looks and kinda with the weird face and stuff, it's very similar to the design of the titular hell baby from that manga. Okay. So I wondered if that was like a particular throw in. He's making a little appearance there. Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> yes, we have a have a nice little sewer.
1: And so we see a man crawling around down there, mm-hmm. shining his flashlight and stuff like that. And then we cut to him painting a picture yeah, of see. the baby he saw in the sewer. And this very much looks like the manga character right. in the painting. Yeah. So we get the impression this guy gets inspiration from going down into the sewers.
0: And why not? Everyone's got their muse. Sure. You never know where you're going to find
1: inspiration. <laughs> But they, they pan over shots of his artwork, and it's all macabre and grungy mm-hmm. and morbid, people would say.
0: Yes, I think so. <laughs> um, and we get a little bit of establishing stuff. He's got uh, a, a pair of neighbors. <laughs> These neighbors, man. Uh, they're maybe a married couple. They're maybe just dating. Uh... I don't know. They're like the archetypical... Um, nosy neighbors. Nosy neighbors. Yeah. They're um, Mrs. Uh, Kravitz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I we should say, none of these characters are really named. So our artist is played by Shigeru Saiki, but we're never given a name. And then the neighbors, even in the credits, it's just neighbor male and neighbor female. Yeah, and they're a hoot, these two. Yep, uh, the guy is Go played by Go Riju, and the woman is Masami Hisamoto.
1: Throughout the movie, I'm wondering how much of this is played for laughs. Yeah. Because... Either it's intentional or unintentional here. It's one or the other. There's no in between. Yeah. Because there are some like long, awkward takes on these people. Mm-hmm. And they have very exaggerated reactions to things.
0: They have this... Sometimes they have this like... It's almost like the stupid mouth breather look to them. It's just like... <laughs> right, yeah. There's nothing bouncing around up there. But
1: it looks like they're struggling not to laugh yeah.
0: <laughs> throughout a lot of
1: it. And I, I'm wondering how much of that is intentional. I really want to know. Because being shot on video, it does have an amateurish kind of look to it. This is not a slick production. It doesn't yes. look bad, per se. But, I mean, and it wasn't unusual for a lot of media to be shot on video back in the day. Mm-hmm. Probably still, actually, mm-hmm. in Japan, I imagine. Of course, things look better than they did then. Of course. Um,
0: oh, which we should say, and I didn't even mention it last time, this isn't streaming anywhere. Um, the only release is that out of print DVD you can track down. Um, it's out there. Yeah. If you, really, you look hard enough. You can find it. If you really it. want to find it, it's out yeah. there. I mean, if you like movies that are kind of
1: effed up, you might be able yes, to if find it. If you happen to be
0: a fan of effed up movies <laughs> and knew how to go and look at things on the internet because you were trying to find uh, effed up movies to watch. You could probably find it. Perhaps you could. You too <laughs> could watch this movie.
1: <laughs> so yeah, these neighbors are great. And they're talking about how uh, they get a little bit of backstory. Yeah. Yeah, they're a little worried about their neighbor. The yeah, because uh, his wife left them a month ago. They say, mm-hmm. and he, he's not very friendly to them. Like, yeah, he kind of keeps to himself. Yeah, he, he's that loner that keeps to himself, real quiet type. <laughs> we know those people. Jason, <laughs> what? I'm a social butterfly.
0: Um, so he goes out on one of his little expeditions to check into the sewer. Mm-hmm. I don't love how they set it up because this is also kind of comical. I don't know if it's intentional, but it's like he goes to the manhole. You kind of hanging around for a minute. And then he reaches and like hidden under a board, he's left himself the crowbar to pry it up. <laughs> right. Right. You can tell he's like done this all the time. Uh-huh. And he goes down and he starts talking about how it used to be a river there mm-hmm. where he used to play when he was a child. And it's neat because they do a little cutaway and they show us one of his paintings mm-hmm. where he has like illustrated what that was like. And it's like a
1: nice happy painting. It's not macabre and stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: And and it's very like children's book almost.
1: And he says something along the lines of about all the beautiful things that he has lost down there. Mm-hmm. And he goes looking around and he's like finding remnants of his past in the sewer. And then he finds like a, is it a it's a cat, isn't it? Some <laughs> I kind don't know of, what that thing some was. Some kind of animal. It was a, probably supposed to be a cat. It's called Chibi, he calls it. <laughs> and, but I mean, it's mostly intact. It's not like it's rotted. Yeah. How long ago did he lose Chibi? Is it even Chibi?
0: Um, but he's grief-stricken, but then he is like, I, I do have to paint you, though, and like immortalize you. And, <laughs> right. And, um, but there's a sound. Yes, he hears splashing
1: story. around. He goes, check it out. And what should he find but a mermaid in the manhole?
0: Yes, as the title might suggest. Mm-hmm.
1: A rather attractive Japanese lady. She has a typical mermaid. She's got the bottom and lower half of a fish. Mm-hmm. And it
0: looks pretty good.
1: I like how the scales look and stuff.
0: Yeah, the scales are actually pretty realistic. You can tell it's like a big... Oh, she's just wearing a sock, basically, yeah, sock over two type legs. sock-type prop thing. Sure, but it looks nice. Yeah. Played by Mari Somme, mm. who is gorgeous. Yeah. And I'm just going to throw this out there before we get into anything that happens. She is an amazing actress for even doing this movie. Oh, I was going to say that she she's... She could easily have gone and been in like any number of Yakuza films and just stood around in a pretty dress They're... and made bank, <sighs> but... She she chose to be
1: in this movie. (laughs) And she gives it her all. Yeah. There's something special about Japanese actresses. I'm not sure what it is, but so many of them will submit themselves to the
0: weirdest (laughs) shit and just go with it. And a little fun subnote on her. Well, maybe this isn't fun. It could be sad, I guess. But she only was starred in a few films, and it was mostly like weird horror stuff like this, or uh, like softcore ish or pink films. Mm -hmm. Um, This was her last film. Oh. And she was 25 at the time. And in that year, 1988, she disappeared. Disappeared? Yep. The only known facts about her is that she retired from the movie industry. And that's it. Nothing else is known about her. So hopefully nothing nefarious happened to her. and She's just living her
1: life in anonymity.
0: I don't know if you looked into this at all. Not deeply. Okay. Um, Because I saw this note and I was like, okay, is this just like some BS to promote the movie? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, the actress vanished. Sure. I actually dug and dug quite a bit and started sitting through like Google Translate and very half-assed like translating web pages in Japanese into English. This seems to be like the actual story. No one really knows what happened to her. Really? Yeah.
1: That's sad. Well, hopefully she's, you know, living somewhere unhappy. I hope so. And not in a sewer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> not in the mantle. Huh. Um, but yes, and we quickly realized the artist recognizes her. Yeah,
1: he says that he saw the mermaid when he was younger, when he was a kid. Mm.
0: And they kind of share this moment, and she starts to talk to him, but it's telepathically.
1: Yeah. She speaks into his mind. Yeah, she says that she gets stranded here when the river dried up. Mm. So already it's a very like magical realism
0: sort yeah. of set up here. It's a l- little Del Toro-ish, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Without the whimsy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's
1: not much whimsy in this. And he like starts
0: sketching her and everything. Yep. She tells him it's his, uh, it's his goal to, to you know, paint and be an artist. Yes. And... That she, she will replace all
1: that he has lost. Yep. And she'll model for him. Hmm. I think he comes and goes like a few days or something. It's not just the one trip. It's he, a little vague. He comes back. Uh, but
0: it's certain. It's quickly revealed that she is sick. Yes. She's got some sort of. Growth's. She reveals it's right, at her stomach. There's this yeah. like reddish nastiness. Yeah. And immediately we should get into this. Props to the special effects makeup guy Nobuaki Koga. <laughs> They're pretty good. He is the mastermind behind all of this, and man, it all looks so good. <laughs> I mean, not good, but like. Right. It looks nice and gross. It's and gross and, and, and squicky, and you believe it. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> she shows him like this abscess or whatever it is, and they, the painter says that you get those in such places. See, <laughs> so that's one of those lines where I'm thinking, is this supposed to be a little bit funny? It's gotta is be it meant to be funny. Gallo's yeah. humor, you know? And then he decides he's gotta take her home. Right. Right?
0: As you do. <laughs> Which they don't show us really how it happens. Right. We just see two men, <laughs> we see two men delivering a bathtub to his house. Yeah. And again, as they're delivering it, the neighbors out there are like, <laughs> just gawking. What's yeah. going on?
1: What's he want a bathtub for? Because <laughs> a lot of places, bathtubs weren't all that common, right? Right. In Japan, Japanese homes. Um, Especially not that style of tub. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm in a about that, too, because we don't see how he gets her there. She's mm-hmm. just there in the tub. So you're wondering how much of this is in his head or not. Right. Um, she says that he's got a painter. And that's that's
0: his, that, that's his mission. Yeah, he wants to get her some medicine at first. Yeah. And it's kind of insinuated it's not really going to help. Yeah, because they, they get
1: worse. It's like mm. these cancerous, tumorous growths. Man, they're gnarly. They're pretty gnarly. <laughs> and she begins like writhing in pain and stuff. And they start to bust with
0: blood and... She's trying to staunch the flow. But See, I was more okay this time because I had seen it before. The first time I watched this, I almost couldn't look at the screen. Did it get you? Yeah. Oh, a lot wow. of stuff. I mean, I was in high school, so I was sure. uh, not the experienced veteran that I am now, but man, it, it's still... Ooh. So that's probably on VHS too, right? Yeah. I bet it
1: had a, a different tone on VHS too, because mm-hmm. it's not as clear and it looks more grungy.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, so he starts to paint her and mm-hmm. she her, con- her condition continues to deteriorate. Until these tumors are just like completely filling up her body, even like taking over her chest. And it almost gets into like a body horror oh, yeah. kind of feel. Yeah. And then we get an escalation of their situation because like you were saying, these like tumorous growths begin to burst. Mm-hmm. And they're spewing all this strange liquid. Mm-hmm. And we learn that she has six different colors of pus within her.
1: huh.
0: <laughs> and she encourages him to kind of harvest that. And use it for his painting. Yep. So he
1: starts cutting at them with a razor and mm. collecting all of the fluid
0: into jars. Which, I mean, technically you should get that fluid out of there.
1: Yeah, you're probably if right. You're,
0: eh. This may not be the best <laughs> way to do it. You know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I wanted to point out some more Hino uh, facts for you. So, <laughs> yeah, Michael, if you could just make a stinger for that. Hino Hinofex. Um, So his one work, Panorama of Hell, very popular. I've read that one. It's super good. It's about this demented artist that uses blood to make his paintings. Mm -hmm. And with each one, he kind of presents it to you and then tells you a story about the person it's based on.
1: And that's Shades (laughs) of Color Me Blood Red, Yes, H.G.
0: Lewis movie. Um, And so it made me think this was probably another inspiration on this movie. That idea of the artist taking bodily fluids to construct his work. Yeah, or a bucket of blood, something like that. Uh, And then fun shout-out, because we both love Junji Ito. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: There is a chapter of his Tomi manga, which also got made into the film Tomi Rebirth, that has this same premise. The artist murders Tomi and then uses her blood to construct (sighs) a painting of her. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. So lots of little connections here with this idea of a tormented painter.
1: Oh, we get another great scene with the neighbors too because uh, she's hunting, she wants to eat fish right mm-hmm. so he, yeah. he gets her fish but he's like taking out a bag and putting it in front of his house for the you know trash people to come to pick up Yeah, yeah. the neighbor is out there and he goes back in immediately and she's looking at the bag and this blood's kind of oozing out and she starts messing around with it and <laughs> this big fish head flops out <laughs> and her reaction is
0: fantastic and it's great because it cuts inside and she goes in to tell her guy yeah and he's like, what's weird about having a fish head in your trash?
1: And she's like, it looks like it was one bite. Like, yeah. took the, the head's fish <laughs> off. And they're talking about how it stinks next door and stuff like that. Uh, so then her condition begins to deteriorate even more. Mm-hmm. More of these pustules.
0: Starts to cover up her face. And her yeah. hair starts
1: receding. Yeah, so we get more scenes of him cutting them and
0: and it's sad too because when he first makes the painting it's her as she is normal yeah and as she progresses through these stages he keeps updating the painting now with her bodily fluids yeah to this like grotesque form that she's assuming into
1: and then that the anti worms and stuff start like bursting
0: out yeah and crawling out of the this, this even now was still hard for me to watch <laughs> especially too because they do close ups on like the bursted tumors uh huh and they fed the bugs through so they like crawl up out of them yeah yeah, and yeah. then
1: he's like pulling them out. Mm-hmm. It does have features. Yeah, this would be my hell. <laughs> at least they weren't like arachnids. <laughs> um, it, it does have like, it seems like library sound effects, mm-hmm. which are at, at the same time charming but also disturbing.
0: <laughs> I thought it was really well done for most of the film. There's one scene where the sound effects really kind of jump off the tracks, and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get to that here. Okay, in a minute. I think I
1: know what you're talking about. <laughs>
0: But yeah, and we, we can't understate how well Somae's performance is in this. Oh, she goes for she, it. She's just She nuts. sells it completely. And
1: she's covered in all this stuff and covered in the, the worms and the bugs and stuff. And she's, man, she's a trooper.
0: And I wanted to connect it up to... Um, Maybe it's why she quit the industry. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you don't need another performance. Like this. <laughs> um, the, the whole like Aero Guru thing. The first time she has some of the tumors and they start like really bothering her, uh, she screams a lot and is like flailing and the camera kind of lingers on her and it's the artist's like vision as he's watching her and it did did you get the vibe that's almost kind of had like an erotic oh yeah tone to it yeah it's moment? like something yeah. you would
1: see in a softcore porn or yeah, something yeah. Yeah. that kind of soft focus and slow mm-hmm. motion sort
0: of thing going on yeah for sure yeah so i wanted to highlight that just cuz that again that's that style mm-hmm. in there Yep.
1: <laughs> and she says something like she, he has to paint her to the moment that before she dies yeah to capture it. And she starts pulling at her scalp. And her body is just decaying more and more. Her eyeball pops out. That was pretty
0: gnarly. That one's very gnarly. <laughs> and then it's disturbing because the next time you see her after that, um the makeup and stuff where it's progressed further, the eye is still there, but it's like it's grown up and out and then like morphed with one of the tumors. Yeah. Yeah. Um if you know the anime Akira at the end of that when he starts to like morph out of control it kind of has that same look I think sure
1: (laughs) definitely and um, he says that the painting's finished and he can he can show it to her but she says that it's too late and he has to kill her yep
0: so then he begins slashing and cutting her up with a knife and this is two things about this scene Number one, this is where it's the most like the other guinea pig films, like yeah. the early ones. This a lot is of just like cutting up. off appendages and stuff like that. And just mutilation and just close-ups on gore and blood and everything. And we
1: get some pretty funny sound effects
0: here, too. <laughs> this is the part I was talking about. They kick in these sound effects, and it's just like, man, what would you even describe these as? It's almost like a, like a 20s comedy or something, Yeah, the way these sound effects sound. Yeah.
1: It's the audio equivalent of that uh, flash of lightning that, like, every yeah. horror movie used yeah, for, like, yeah. 50 years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, and it's really out of place. But I don't think it's bad either. Because I think, too, it kind of sets up this, like, unreality that you're in. That he's there with this mermaid dismembering her. And a part of you has to ask, like, is any of this even real yeah. at this point? Right. Uh,
1: and the neighbors downstairs, they're saying that smells getting worse, and then blood starts dropping down under yep. their table from the ceiling. Uh,
0: because it's interesting, their apartments are adjacent, but it seems like his apartment has a second floor. Yeah, it must
1: go above there. And it's like an
0: artist's loft that goes up and then cuts across over their apartment. Yeah.
1: So they, okay, we have to check this out. They start investigating.
0: <laughs> they go to the door. She urges the guy to go <laughs> yeah. in first. Um, and when he tries the door, it just opens. Mm hmm. So, like you do, you just creep in. Well, sure, you gotta investigate this stuff. Yeah.
1: And they find him just, like, mindlessly chopping at the mermaid, yeah, question she, mark. She's literally just gore now. Yeah, yeah it's just, like, weird body parts here and there. Great, disturbing scene. Yeah. Like, he's just, like, mindlessly hacking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, then we get to the police. They come, and they're talking to the neighbors. And turns out that it was his wife... Yes. that he had murdered, that he was hacking apart.
0: And we get a bunch of plot exposition. Yeah, a little info real at the end. Um, effectively, his wife had stomach cancer.
1: But it was also... Oh, we forgot about the baby. Oh, yeah. When he's cutting her up, he pulls out a baby.
0: Yep. Well, it looks a lot like the baby in the sewer. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, she had her, his wife had stomach cancer and was like eight months pregnant. mm mm-hmm. um And... So apparently he was chopping up his wife's body. So a lot of this was in his head. But there's a collection of evidence at the end. Yes. And amongst this evidence is a single scale of unknown origin that looks like the scales that made up her fish parts.
0: And they can't explain it. Yes. But it's just a curious footnote to a dude murdering his wife. (laughs) Yep. Now, Jason, I know you are not a credits guy. Mm -mm. Did you stick around for the stinger? Oh, shit.
1: I don't think I did.
0: (laughs) Wait, what's the stinger? So the credits play out. They're pretty short because there's not a lot of people on this cast. Um, And then it goes to black. And then it fades back in and you're in the sewer and you hear like the water running and everything. And then just around the corner of the bend, you hear a splash like there's movement back there. Oh. And then it goes off. Okay. Hmm. So this is kind of a little final. mm? Yeah. Which is it? Yeah. Interesting, man. You got to wait through the
1: credits. I, apparently, I do. I, you must have I didn't re- expect this from a movie from 1988.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so that is the film. Again, it's very lean. It's just you know, 60 minutes. You're in, and you're in, and you're out. Yeah.
1: yeah. Anything longer would have been a bit too much, I think.
0: I think so. Yeah. So it's a good length. So I wanted to ask you, uh-huh. as far as like themes on this film, mm-hmm. is this just a weird concepted gore film, or is there something going on here? <sighs>
1: yes and yes yes because and yes. <laughs> it is basically it is just kind of a simple gore film but also mm. i mean you could say that on the very surface it's how he dealt with his mental breakdown of mm-hmm. killing his wife maybe she's dealing with the cancer it drove him insane you know he couldn't deal with it on top of the baby and everything like that um, so in his mind, he rationalizes Oh, it it's a mermaid, you know, and he's trying to recapture the essence of his youth.
0: Because he keeps talking about that's why he goes down in the sewers to begin right. with. Right, because he's trying to reconnect to his home, his childhood. Mm-hmm. That was the thing I picked up on. I think a lot of this film was about, like, the loss of innocence and the way that, like, the, the things that are wonderful to you and the, the wonders and the mystery of childhood over time that can get trampled kind of by the adult world as you move and transition into that yeah all that magic disappears Mm -hmm. and so that's that's the transition of it was this like lush green river with animals and nature and this beautiful mermaid that that inspired him to this great art and then we come to his adult life and it's just this ratty manhole sewer area that's discarded everything's trash everything is diseased decaying falling apart Right, um, and I think also once you once you know the twist uh, regarding his wife, you can also kind of look at the film as like a meditation on grief, and the way people try to process that, or I think maybe in this instance fail to process that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so like you know, generally like faced with this harsh reality that his life was, and unable to reconcile the fact that he he was torn down to this point, and then decided to kill his wife, and he can't rectify that. He instead kind of envisions her as a mermaid, and makes this like scenario for himself to try to make it okay.
1: Yeah, and of course that scenario in his mind
0: is almost as bad.
1: Right, that's <laughs> the reality. So,
0: and if you if you look at it from that angle, then that's like the truth. You know, breaking that shell that he's constructed to right. kind of pull him back to what's really going on. Right, and I think it's it's notable because if we once we know the twist, if you go back. The initial kind of weird thing with the mermaid, um, that little, like, tumorous growth that starts on her stomach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that links back up with the stomach cancer. True. So I think maybe,
1: like, the mermaid's deterioration is um, allegorical to his mental
0: deterioration? Yes. Yeah. Right. And then I think another thing, I, I don't know why I keep tossing all these out, but here we go. So I also think maybe this film's asking a question of, like, can art be born from suffering? Oh. Because through, through <laughs> her suffering, he's trying to create art. I mean, isn't the best art made through some sort of suffering? You know? Mm. Like, the best artists always seem to be the, <laughs> the most, most unhappy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well. Uh, so I think it dwells on that a little bit, maybe just in, in a very exaggerated way to, to oh, have, sure. have that conversation. It's all very over the top. Uh, yeah. So I think I don't have any more notes about this film. No. No. Me either. And what are your final thoughts? It's, um, it's a little movie, but I think it packs a lot in there. Well, I think it's the strangest remake of Splash. Splash? What is Splash?
1: <laughs> it's the Tom Hanks movie. Daryl Hannah? Never seen the it. Mermaid movie? Splash? Nope. Oh, man. Someone out there would get this. <laughs> Someone thinks it's funny right fucking now. <laughs> I'm just looking at you with a blank face and a smile. As usual. Um, I enjoyed it. Uh, it's good to finally see one of the guinea pig films. I've never actually seen all of them in their entirety, like bits and pieces here. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: you can't, you can't avoid it, man. <laughs> yeah, I know.
1: Puns make themselves. Um, it, it was fun. I, I mean, it was gross, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like shocking or too terribly disturbing because it is so over the top. It's right. such an extreme,
0: you know, presentation. Are that even too, like the the pus when he's collecting that. And it's the six colours. They make it like bright neon, like neon purple, neon green. Reminded me of
1: Street Trash. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When
0: everyone melts and stuff, it's very comparison. vibrant colors. Yeah.
1: Um, I think Street Trash came out before this. So that could have been influenced somehow, I think maybe. I,
0: I could see, see the that. Japanese
1: digging street trash. Oh yeah. Um, the I mean it's a little amateurish, but it's a low budget. It's shot on video. Mm-hmm. And how much of that over the top acting is intentional? Or not. I
0: mean. I mean, I think the, the couple next door are supposed to be funny. Yeah. That's like
1: your pressure release. Sure. It helps alleviate some of the gore and misery and stuff. So I did enjoy it. I like it. I think it works as a movie, you know, not just a gore film. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's exceptionally profound or anything. I think it's a it's a cool representation of, of Hino, is that his name? Yeah. Of his artwork. At the end of the day, I would give it three stars mostly because I guess it, I we've had a bit more to talk about it than I thought I would like what you can read into and stuff but it's also it's a little surface level it's a little obvious I guess maybe um, <laughs> but I mean I did enjoy it hold on let me file away my dissertation that I made <laughs> about this
0: film so three stars that's where I'm at okay cool um I love this movie. Mm -hmm. I I loved it before I I picked it specifically just so we could talk about it. Um, again, like I said, I think when you go with this series, they do kind of get that like typecast of just being snuff films, but this one offers a lot more, I think. And it's, it's, it's fun, not in an enjoyable way, but it's fun in the, the creativity that went into it. Oh yeah. And the effects Um, are fantastic. And like you said, the makeup artist is great. Yeah. He, he kills it. It makes the film. Um, everyone's great in it especially Mari Somme I can't understate that enough she is just incredible yeah she's amazing um to even go through all of this to make the film and like sell it the way she does and sitting in a bathtub of water the entire time that had to get funky
1: mm-hmm. especially <laughs> once
0: they have the blood and everything else in it yeah um as someone who's read a lot of Hideshi Hino stuff I do think it is a great adaptation of his style and tone all of his stuff does have this like where it's very graphic but there is also like some big ideas kicking around in there mhm um, I do think the film has a lot of ideas and things out there that it's trying to say um, some of that could just me, be me you know projecting ideas onto it which is what good artwork should do yes it, it gives you that, that canvas <laughs> to, uh, to make those conclusions um, so I love it yeah and I think it's it's a very somber film um, and something about that tone and that mood just really really gets to me in a way that's like I'm like yeah I like this film I'm into it uh, I'm really feeling what it's trying to do and it's made me think about all these bigger questions. Even though it is just this like 60 minute, pretty low budget gore film that mostly is just trying to like squick you out. Um, but then I appreciate it that when you get done, you sit there and you think about it, you're kind of like, man, it's left me with some like thoughts and some feelings yeah, to, to, to work through. Yeah. Um, so I actually give this one five stars. Five stars? Yeah, I'm, I'm heavy on it. Wow. We really oh, like gosh. it. I would love if these all got like a Blu-ray... As much as you could upscale them, upscale release. You don't want them to look too good though, because
1: yeah. then it would look more artificial. Which I don't know. That might add something to it. Who knows? <laughs> uh,
0: cool. yeah, but I, I really, really love it. I think it's super enjoyable. Um, if you've always kind of stayed away from this series because you are worried about like how graphic and how just brutal it is, mm-hmm. I think this is the one you can like. I mean, the one, the other one, um, the the Devil Doctor. That one is like a straight comedy almost, yeah. so it's kind of easy to get into too. But this one, I think, is the right mix of, like, it has the extreme stuff that the series is known for, but there is enough of a story and a plot and an idea that can, like, pull you through yeah. if you're wanting to approach this for the first time. I agree. If you're kind if
1: you're to jump into a guinea pig film, it probably should be this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But know that it is gory if you have mm-hmm. issues with disease
0: and fluids and worms. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Proceed yes, yes. with caution. Proceed with caution. <laughs> All right, well... That brings us to the end of another one. Again, kind of a short film, so there's a shorter uh, walkthrough there. But mm-hmm. I think we hit a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got one more week in this month. Mm-hmm. and we, One more extreme horror film. One more extreme horror film. Uh, we thought we would do for the listener episode, we would just go back to our bank of suggestions that we received. And so, in light of that, we are going to go with a much more modern film. Just to kind of complete... Uh, our tour, I guess, of extreme horror. Yes. And so we are going to go with the 2021 Taiwanese horror film, The Sadness, directed by Rob Jabaz. Indeed. This Got a was lot of buzz, pretty popular. A lot of buzz, a festival darling last year, mm-hmm. everywhere it turned up. Mm-hmm. Ostensibly an outbreak slash zombie question mark slash In- rage inf- virus. Infected, yeah. 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 Um. So this is very new, very off the top. It's on Shutter. It's on Shutter. So you can easily get at it and watch it for yourself. Uh, we'll get into it in that episode, but definite trigger warning on this. There is a lot of sexual violence going on. Yeah. Um, so know, as we always say, know your limits, know what you're cool with watching. Uh, tread with a little caution right. when you go in on it. Yes. Consider yourselves warned. Yes. So as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Keep writing to us. Let us know what you've been watching. Let us know what you've been enjoying this October for yeah. Halloween times.
1: We know you're all watching horror movies.
0: Yeah, we want to we wanna put stuff on our list to watch we maybe haven't got to yet. Yeah. Um. Keep sending us movie recommendations to check out for these listener episodes because we love doing them. Uh, generally, consistently, all the ones we've done have been great. I think our listeners have amazing taste. They do. It's the one thing I've learned doing this um, that's really impressed me so keep keep doing that keep yeah, being awesome absolutely uh, you can hit us up on all the social medias Facebook Instagram Twitter we're over on YouTube we just kind of mirror the episodes there but hey you can leave a comment we won't yeah. we won't G- bite give us a
1: thumbs up smash thumbs that like, like
0: button ring the bell <laughs> um, yeah hit us up at genre exposure at gmail.com yeah send us a missive we, we love it all and we appreciate it man yeah so,
1: you guys take care and have a good Halloween
0: yes take care